I'm now joined by consultant meteorologist, senior consultant meteorologist, uh, our very own Gerald Fleming. Good morning to you, Gerald. I didn't think you and I would be talking again quite so soon after the last time you joined me live in studio, yet here we are. The UN chief, Antonio Guterres, uh, said we are sleepwalking to a climate catastrophe. What do you think in light of this report? Well, I'm afraid he's just telling us what uh, what we've known. Um, we have all of these very fine ambitions and statements from the political side and so on about what's going to be done and what we had this uh, at the various COP meetings, as they're called, more particularly at Paris, which was about six, seven years ago, and then most recently in Glasgow. And what this report is telling us is that you know, the fine words are all very good and well, but we're not actually making enough difference on the ground. We need to translate those fine words into actions if they're actually going to be anything. So what does this report tell you then as a, as a senior meteorologist? You've had a chance to look at it in detail. Maybe what I'm reading and what you're reading, you'll get a different connotation from it completely. What do you think of this? And what are the key points within this that we all need to be aware of this morning? Yeah, so just a, a brief overview. This is the third working group report from the IPCC. So there's different working groups. The first one uh, talks about the science, and that came out oh, almost nearly a year ago now. Uh, and then the second, this is the third. This one looks at what we call the mitigation effort. So what are we doing as a society to prevent climate change becoming a bigger problem? Um, and in doing that, it's using these benchmarks, which were set up, let's say, in the Paris Agreement of 1.5 Celsius. We try to limit the temperature rise globally to 1.5 degrees, or an earlier um, target was 2 degrees. So it's looking at those two and saying, are we on track? to meet those targets of limiting the global temperature rise to 1.5 degrees or 2 degrees. And they're saying, no, we're not. And if we want to get back on track, unfortunately, we've got to take very quick, very drastic action. Because even though we have had all of these uh, aims and aspirations over the last number of years, you know, the, the, the key fact is that the carbon dioxide levels keep rising. Uh, so for all of the political hot airs, you might say, they've made no difference at all to what's actually happening in the atmosphere. We haven't got a grip on this problem at all. So, the war in Ukraine has kind of spurred an urgent energy rethink in the West. Uh, you've been watching this closely. How has it spurred the energy rethink and what's going to happen? It's really pointed up to us our um, reliance on fossil fuels and in particularly in this case on the fossil fuels provided by Russia in the form of, of oil and gas. Uh, you know, beyond that, we're reliant on the fossil fuels provided by the Middle East, um, and then to a certain extent probably by the US. So we have to wean ourselves off this fossil fuel. This is not just us in Ireland, but globally it's going to have to happen. But for us in Ireland, we have alternatives, you know, and we're working towards all alternatives in terms of building renewable energy, uh, in terms of wind power, in terms of solar. And the, the report noted the good news that the cost of all these renewable energy sources has come down very considerably in the last decade. You know, the, the technology has improved, battery technology has improved, solar power technology has improved. So we have it within our grasp to be able to use these technologies now to move away from becoming dependent on the fossil fuels, on the coals and the oils and the gases. Um, obviously, that can't happen overnight, but it needs to happen much more quickly than it's happening at the present. So we need to push on very quickly yeah. with, with those particular technologies. So there's a need then, obviously, Gerald, for uh, enormous increases in, in investment. And what about yep. the poorer countries who simply won't have the, the wherewithal to do this? Well, they're not the ones that are part of the problem, really. Well, they're all part of the problem, but they're not the, 
to the element that it's the wealthier countries who are actually burning the most fuels and so on. It's the wealthier countries that are, have created the problem and are continuing to do so. Uh, but having said that, there is a, a lot of um, discussion at these COP meetings and so on about the wealthier Western world, if we may call it that, providing support to those poorer countries, both to help protect their citizens against the effects of climate change, which unfortunately many of those citizens are living in, in very uh, very poor circumstances and it, it doesn't take a lot for them to be pushed into incomplete destitution like floods and, and heat waves and droughts and so on or endemic problems in many of these countries. Um, but also recognising that those civilians have not been the ones who have been causing the problem but have been suffering the brunt. So there have been these um, promises of, of large sums of money being transferred from the wealthier to the poorer nations. And up to a point that's happened, but but at a rate, again, which has been rather more slow than the promises might have suggested. Right, A 1.5% cap on global warming, the aspirational goal of the 2015 Paris Climate Accord, has been embraced as a target by most of the world's nations. But for those of us not familiar with what all this means in layman's terms, can you describe what it means? If if it warms up, if we warm up by another 1.5 degrees, what does it all mean? Can you, can you shed some light on that for me, please? Yeah, it means that the incidence of severe weather, uh, floods, droughts, and, and so on, become much, much more dangerous, and in, particularly in those vulnerable countries. Uh, we're in this very forced position in Ireland that we live in a very temperate climate where the weather will change, but it won't become unlivable. But there are other parts of the world where the weather will become effectively, the countries will become unlivable, and even parts of Europe where they'll become unlivable because it will be too hot and too dry. Uh, so we're, we're trying to, to keep away from the, those worst excesses, and that's really what all this is about. You know, that if we let this thing run off like a, a runaway train, then, you know, there's going to be huge parts of the world unlivable, and that's going to create other problems with refugees and so on. People, by and large, want to stay in the places where they were born and raised and make a living there for themselves and their families, uh, and they can't do that if, if the, the weather doesn't uh, allow them to. And barely, according to a statement I have here in front of me, 1.1 centigrade of warming so far has ushered in devastating surges of deadly extreme weather across the globe like we have in the last two or three years, Gerald. Haven't we, we have seen storms and tempests that we've never seen before. We have. Uh, we, I mean, I, I appreciate that, you know, people will say, look back for, and meteorology isn't a very old profession in the, in, the, in the context of the age of the world. We're only around a few hundred years. The world has been around for many millions. But we have evidence that we're seeing temperatures now that haven't been seen in many tens of thousands of years. Uh, we've seen it in things like the, the great heat that there was at the polar regions, Arctic and Antarctica, uh, and we worry about what that means for the polar ice caps. But we've seen it, as you say, in the, uh, the tropical storms and, and the heavy rainfalls and so on that uh, really decimated parts of the Asia-Pacific region in particular, uh, and we've seen some very odd things, too, in, in the Atlantic and in the Pacific, in Southern America, meteorologically odd things which we never thought would happen. So we're seeing the weather changing before our eyes. What happens now? Uh, I wish I knew. You know, it's, it's, it's the difficulty in, in turning around the juggernaut that is the economy and society and, and placing it in, in, on a different footing, you know, placing it away from being reliant on fossil fuels, which is really what it's been the case since the Industrial Revolution a couple of hundred years, 
and, and rebuilding it on the basis of renewable energy. Uh, you know, we started that journey. We just need to accelerate along that path. So the phasing out of fossil fuels, listening to you this morning, that is the key one, the phasing out of fossil fuels. It's absolutely key, and it's obviously not easy. You know, I mean, so much of our, our, our life and our, our economy is based around it. Um, and, and if we think of, you know, deliveries of foodstuffs and stuff like that, we depend on trucks and so on. We depend on our cars. Uh, we depend on fuel to heat our houses. Uh, there's so much that we need to do to break those dependencies and to move towards a renewable energy future. And we have lots of energy in this country that comes through the wind and the rain and the sun and the waves. Uh, it's a question of harnessing that and using it 